always feel like it's when you, I feel like it's like interrupting family investment time. We've got people catching up, we've got people meeting new people. And, uh, and that's one of the uh, most incredible things about church is doing life together and doing community. And, um, and, you know, I love being here on a Sunday and getting to experience that. But I want to start off, I want to I just be a little bit vulnerable for a second. And I want to tell you about what my first thought was this morning when I woke up. I went to sleep last night, feeling good. And I, like, I kid you not, the first thing that came into my head when I opened up my eyes this morning was, you're not good enough. And what you got is not good enough. And, and I'm like, it's just ruthless. Like, that's my first thought. And, and it's, it's kind of fitting that, that that's, that's my first thought today because today we're looking at Matthew 4. But the fact is, is that in that moment when I stand on the word and I say I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, it takes it away from me. You know what, I, I stand up here and, and the truth is, is that I, I'm human and I'm broken and, and I've made mistakes. And, but in Christ, I'm a new creation. And, and so when I stand on the word and go, and, and go back to what the enemy is trying to tempt me to do, which is to not speak. I realise that as I stand up here. It's the temptation, it's the tempter who's trying to come in and, and what he's trying to do is to tempt me to not speak today because I believe that he's doing that because God has a word for you this morning. Today we're starting a new series. And so finishing that, I stand in the strength of Christ today. I don't stand in my own strength I don't speak from what I know or what I've come up with. I believe that God is speaking today and that he wants to encourage you this morning. And so that's, where I, that's what I stand on this morning. And I stand in my, my own, like what I've come up with, I stand on him. Today we're starting a new series and I'm, I'm excited about this series. This series is, is called Preparing the Way. And, and we're looking at this series as, as like a mini Lent. Now, if you, uh, I guess, have grown up in church or around this, you may know what Lent is. But for those who sit here this morning and go, I've got no idea what Lent is, that's totally fine. I'm going to explain a little bit now what Lent is and why we celebrate Lent. We celebrate Lent as a period of spiritual preparation leading into Easter. The 40 days, so usually Lent is is kind of uh, celebrated over 40 days or or is um, you know practiced over forty days. So the forty days of Lent represent the forty days that Jesus spent fasting and praying in the wilderness before he began his public ministry. The word Lent comes from the old English word Lenston. Someone can tell me if I'm preach, um, if I'm saying that right. It's L-E-N-C-T-E-N. Is that right? Lenston. There you go. Which means springtime. Symbolizing the idea of new beginnings and growth. And, and I, was, I was reading this today. I believe that's a word for our church. I believe that as we focus on this series, as we focus on uh, Lent, and as we focus on this series of preparing the way, that this is a springtime for our church, that it's a springtime for you 
individually and as a church as well, that God has something new that He wants to spring to life for you. And, and as I was reading this, I really felt like that there is a newness that is coming, that there is a springtime for our church as we, as we look at this series and as we, as we go into Easter. During this time, Christians are encouraged to give up something they enjoy or attach to, such as sweets or social media or food or whatever it is, um, as a way to reflect on the sacrifice of Jesus and focus on their relationship with God. Lent culminates in Holy Week, a time of remembrance and reflections of reflection on the events leading up to Jesus' crucifixion and resurrection. So that's just a little example, a little explanation of what Lent is. And as we, as we do this series, as we work our way through this series, I encourage you to, to really have, have a look into that and to, to pray about that and to realise what it is that maybe you need to, to let go of for this period of time or take your eyes off um, in this period of time so that we can focus on him and what he's done. So today... It's a privilege to be opening up this series, Preparing the Way, and we're going to look at Matthew 4, 1 to 4. And I want to look at a few things that really, in this passage, that, um, that were lessons to me that, uh, that I can implement in my life today. However, to set up Matthew 4, we need to go way back. We need to go back to Deuteronomy. All right, so we're going to go back to Deuteronomy. And as I opened up and started looking at this verse... Just the title alone of this verse in the Bible, in the NIV, is, is, was incredible and it was speaking to me so well because the title of this verse is just, Don't Forget the Lord. Isn't that incredible? It's, it's such, such a simple message. It's such a simple phrase, but it's incredible. Don't forget the Lord. A little context around this verse. The Israelites are getting ready to enter into the promised land. After 40 years in the wilderness, they're going to experience everything that the promised land has for them. But the Israelites that will be entering in the promised land are actually the children of the people that the promised land was promised to. And, and there's a whole message in that, and there's a whole thing we could focus on in that, which I'm not going to touch on today. But, but it's, it's, it's a huge story. And actually, as I was preparing this, I messaged Jess actually and I said, you know what, this, this verse today and what we're looking at today could be like its own three-week series. It's, there is so much in this. There is so much and I'm, I'm reading through it. I'm like, this is awesome, this is awesome, this is awesome and you want to pull out everything but, but due to time, obviously today, I feel like I've pulled out a few things that have spoken to me and, uh, and hopefully will encourage you today. So Deuteronomy 8 says this, we see, it says, Be careful to follow every command I am giving you today, so that you may live and increase and may enter and possess the land the Lord promised and on oath to your ancestors. Remember how the Lord your God led you all the way in the wilderness these 40 years, to humble and to test you in order to know what was in your heart, whether or not you would keep his commands. He humbled you causing you to hunger and then feeding you with manna, which neither you nor your ancestors had known, to teach you that man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. Church, it's so important that we take time to remember what God has done in our life. Just as he's saying here, just as 
as it's saying here. We need to remember what God has done in our life as we, as we enter into what he has for us in our life. But we read here and we see that God provided for the Israelites by sending manna for them. Now, you may not have heard what manna is. There might be a, a fresh word for you or, or you don't know what that is. And so let's take a little bit of a moment here to focus on what manna is. And, and when it says that God fed them through manna, what it's, uh, what it's meaning. The first mention of manna from the Bible is in Exodus 16, where the Israelites have just escaped from Egypt from slavery. And they are complaining to Moses because they are hungry. Now listen to this. This is crazy to me. In this, in this Exodus 16, it says they, they're complaining so much that they say, pretty much say, if only we have, had have stayed in Egypt. If only we had have stayed in slavery. At least there we had pots of meat and we had all the food to eat. That's what they said. And, and as I read that, that was mind-blowing to me. Because here we see the Israelites, they've been set free from slavery. Like they were enslaved, they were, they were captive, they were forced to work and, and then God had set them free and they're living in freedom. But they're looking back thinking that they had it, had it better. And, and there's a lesson in that church for us. That if, we, if we've received Christ, we've been set free. Galatians tells us that we've been set free from the, from the yoke of slavery. The devil, the enemy, wants to try and convince you to look back and think that what you had before is better than what you had now. See, because obviously when we give our life to Christ, we live in Christ and it's his way and we live in his will. And sometimes things don't happen in the speed or in the way that we think they should. And in that moment, the enemy comes in and says, well, just look back. Look what you had back then. You used to be able to do whatever you wanted to do. You used to be able to make things happen for yourself. And now you're here. And just like the Israelites, they've been set free, but they're looking back going, if only we just stayed in slavery. We could have eaten, not realising that they're free, not realising that they're, they're no longer slaves, they've been set free. We need to make sure that we don't fall into the trap of looking back to our old life by looking forward to what God has for us. So we read then, the Lord hears the groans of the Israelites. So he says to Moses in Exodus 16:11, the Lord said to Moses, I've heard the grumbling of the Israelites. Tell them, at twilight you will eat meat, and in the morning you will be filled with bread. Then you will know that I am the Lord your God. That evening quail came and covered the camp, and in the morning there was a layer of dew around the camp. When the dew was gone, thin flakes like frost on the ground appeared on the desert floor. When the Israelites saw it, they said to each other, What is it? For they did not know what it was. It sounds a little bit like those little flakes we get for our communion. <laughs> What's this? <laughs> What's this I'm eating? <laughs> Moses said to them, It is the bread the Lord has given you to eat. This is what the Lord has commanded. Everyone is to gather as much as they need. Take an omer for each person. You have in your tent. Skipping down to verse 31, it says this The people of Israel called the bread manna. 
It was white like coriander seed and tasted like wafers made with honey. Now, the word manna is derived from the Hebrew word manhu, which means what is it? It's complicated. (laughs) The Israelites could see the miracle. They could taste the miracle, but they didn't know what it was. So they asked Moses, what is it? What is this? So Moses, being in close proximity to God, knowing what it was, answered them, and they were made aware that God was answering their prayers. And what I learned from this is this. It's really important who we go to to ask the question, what is it? Imagine they didn't ask Moses. And they just asked each other, what is it? You tell me what it is. What is it? I don't know. What is that communion thing that we eat? I'm not sure. Is it cardboard? I don't know. <laughs> but imagine they go around just asking each other, what is it? They'd, they'd walk around not knowing what it was and they'd walk around not seeing the miracle. I believe we still have a God. I believe that God is still providing for us today. And sometimes the miracle is right there. We see the miracle. We experience the miracle. But we don't know what it is. And sometimes I believe we can ask the question, what's happening? What is it? And it's so important who we go to to ask that question. It's important who we go to to go, what is it? Just like the Israelites went to Moses to ask, what is this, what is this substance? What is this food? When things are happening in your life that you can't explain, that you don't know, it's important, church, who you go to to ask the question. So who are the people in your life who are in close proximity to God that when God provides the manna in your life and you don't understand what it is, you're not walking around with the miracle right there thinking that God hasn't heard your grumblings, thinking that God hasn't heard your prayers because you don't know what the miracle is and you ask, what is it? You need to be asking people who are in close proximity to God so that they can explain to you that God has heard your prayers that God is answering your requests. Otherwise, the Israelites would have just walked around not thinking and not knowing that God actually heard their grumblings and answered their prayers, answered their requests. The, important, the other important thing that I, I learned from this moment is the importance to ask the question. Never be scared to ask the questions. I learned that right now reading this. is like your questions, church, aren't bad. Whatever it is, whatever the questions are that you have about faith, about God, about life with Jesus, your questions don't scare God. We see the Israelites' question, what is it, was a very key moment in this story. And so I want to encourage you, church, if you sit here today and you have questions and you think, I can't ask that question, it's a a tricky one, it's a big question, I don't know if I'll get in trouble for asking the question, whatever it is, 
A lot of, I work in a school and like I'm telling you, you go into a Christian life studies lesson, it's just question after question after question. And it's like, this is great. And I say to the students, I'm like, you keep asking the questions. Just don't ask them to your friends. <laughs> no, it's, okay. it's important to ask questions and it's important who we ask the questions to. So we go back to Deuteronomy. And Moses is reminding them that God has provided for them the whole time before they go out and enjoy everything that God has for them in the promised land. So we, we, we know what that, that God has provided for the Israelites in giving them manna and, and how Moses has said to the Israelites that man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. And so that's set up there. And then we move forward to Matthew, to the Gospel of Matthew. And we see a very interesting interaction here between Jesus and the devil. And we see some similarities between the two stories. But I want to start, I want to read first from Matthew 3.13. Continuing into, into Matthew 4, it says this, it's the baptism of Jesus. Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to be baptised by John. But John tried to deter him, saying, I need to be baptised by you. And do you, and do you come to me? Jesus replied, "Let it be so now. It is proper for us to do this to fulfill all righteousness." Then John consented. As soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. At that moment, heaven was opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and, a, and aligning on him. And a voice from heaven said, "This is my Son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased." Matthew 4, then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. The tempter came to him and said, if you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Jesus answered, it is written, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. What an incredible moment in the scripture. So I want to look at quickly some of the lessons that I learned from these two moments in scripture that can, I feel, be implemented and can help us in our walk today. In both these stories, in the Israelites and in Jesus, a great move of God was followed by time in the wilderness. We see the Israelites escape from Egypt. We read about the Red Sea and the miracle of the Red Sea. Then we see Jesus baptised and the heavens opening up and the dove descending, the Spirit of God descending from heaven and a voice speaking down saying, this is my son whom I love and I am well pleased. I don't know about you, but they're two pretty incredible moments of God moving. Don't you agree? And then we read that that moment is immediately followed by time in the wilderness. Have you ever felt like God has moved in your life? He's spoken to you or you've had a godly encounter. And the next moment you feel as if you're in the wilderness. (laughs) One moment you're having this amazing encounter and then you wake up the next day and you're like, what's happening? Where am I? 
You know, and I'm not talking like, you know, maybe for some, but I don't know. But like, it's not like that we wake up the next day and we're mirror of Glenrock and we, we don't know where we are. I'm not talking physically, although for some, probably physically, they just find themselves in the middle of Glenrock. I don't know. But spiritually, we feel like we're in a wilderness. And, and, and I know that it's happened to me before that... You know, I've had a moment with God and then the next morning you wake up and you just feel like, what was that? And you just kind of, I don't know, you just kind of feel like you're alone and, and you're in like this wilderness and sometimes that, that moment is scary because there are so, much thing, so many things that can happen in that moment. But there's something key, church, about the wilderness Wilderness is mentioned 300 times in the Bible. The wilderness is a significant theme in the Bible, representing a place of testing, preparation and spiritual growth. So church, there is a reason for the wilderness. We read that. We're understanding that as we read through this. And it's so easy for in those moments to think that there is something wrong with you or why is this happening to me or there must, be, there must have been something wrong about the experience that I had. But I want to list for you just some of the characters in the Bible who spent some time in the wilderness. Joseph, after being sold into slavery by his brothers, Joseph was taken to Egypt where he spent time in the wilderness before becoming a powerful ruler. Moses, God led Moses into the wilderness to escape Pharaoh's wrath and to prepare him for his role as the deliverer of the Israelites from Egypt. Joshua, Joshua led the Israelites into the wilderness before they entered the promised land. Gideon, God led Gideon into the wilderness to test his faith and to prepare him for battle. David, David spent time in the wilderness while he was fleeing from King Saul and it was there that he learnt to rely on God. Elijah, God led Elijah into the wilderness to protect him from King Ahab and to teach him important lessons about trusting in God. Elisha, Elisha spent time in the wilderness before beginning his prophetic ministry. Jonah, Jonah was led into the wilderness to teach him a lesson about obedience and forgiveness. John the Baptist, well John lived in the wilderness and was sent by God to prepare the way for Jesus. Jesus, God led Jesus into the wilderness to be tempted by Satan to prepare him for his public ministry. And Paul, after his conversion, Paul spent time in the wilderness before beginning his ministry. There's a theme here, church, that God is leading people into the wilderness for preparation. God is leading people into the wilderness because he needs to teach them something. You know, when, when and, and I think sometimes that, when something big happens and, and you think like, well, like that was an amazing moment where Jesus, where God opened up the heavens and spoke over Jesus, wouldn't you think that he'd just go straight into ministry, that he would go straight from there into the city and just start working? And, and or like God's told you to do something or God's spoken over your life and you've received the word and you just think, I need to go. I need to go into the city. I need to go where everyone is and I need to just start working. But God's like kind of the opposite where he goes, hang on, I've spoken, but now you're going to come with me. And we're going to take you, I'm going to take you into the wilderness where it's just going to be me and you, where, where all you can do is rely on me because, he, because he's preparing us. I, I want to say this, is that church, if, if, if God has spoken to you, 
And if you've had an encounter with God and then all of a sudden you find yourself in that wilderness moment, get prepared because he has something for you. He has a plan and he's preparing you in that moment. Don't be scared by the wilderness. The wilderness is there to teach us that we need to rely on God and that we need to trust in God. And this is the big one, that we need to live on every word that comes out of the mouth of God. That we don't need to rely on the things of this world. We don't need to rely on the things, on the bread, but we need to rely on the word of God. And he teaches that in the wilderness. In the wilderness, there is no noise. There is no distraction. And it gives time for what God has done to truly sink in before we can go back into the busyness of life. But my next, moving on to, to this next moment, and it's a key one, because I think that in these moments too, we need to be aware. Because it's in these moments when the devil is going to try and do his best work. I want to ask a question. When is it easiest to get someone to change their mind on something or question something they have experienced? Is it straight after it's happened? Or is it years and years after they've, they've heard and experienced of what they've heard and experienced has become foundational in their life? I believe that the, the easiest time to change someone's mind is right after what's happened has happened. And we see this when the devil comes to try and tempt Jesus. This isn't long after God opened up the heavens and said, this is my son. And listen to what he says. He says this, if you are the son of God, then turn these stones into bread. Right there, if, if you are. I believe he's trying to get Jesus to question what it was that God said over his life. And, and, and that's, his, that's, that's one of his biggest weapons. Is, is he wants to confuse us. He wants to, us to question what it was that happened. And so he comes into our life and we find ourselves in this moment where, where we're in the wilderness and, where, and he comes in and he said, did that really happen? Did God really do that? Did God really say that? If he did say that, you should do this. And, and we find ourselves in this battle with the enemy that's trying to tempt us, it's trying to distract us. You know, I've had a few people, I've known a few people who have had Holy Spirit encounters. And, and I've been in the room when they've encountered Jesus. And, and it's like, they just, they, you know that they just encountered Jesus. Like, you know, you can see it on them. It's, it's like, you know, I, I, there was this one, one time this person had never been in church before and, and never been in the presence of God, came in to church and, and just cried. And, and, and I believe that in the presence of God, this person encountered the Holy Spirit and encountered the love of Jesus and the hope of Jesus. And, and, it's, and it was like in the following week, in the following two weeks, it's like that's the moment when, when the devil will do his best work to try and convince them that what they experienced wasn't real. And so, church, that, that, 
there's a reminder in that for us too that when we know people who are lost or we know people who, who need to experience Jesus, when they have that encounter, we need to be praying. We need to cover them in prayer. We need to speak against the enemy, the, the, the liar, the tempter, the, the, who is going to try and come in and, and tell them that what they experienced wasn't real. And he'll try and do it straight away while it's fresh and while it's new. If you had a word before from God and then days later, it's like, no, that's not real. That's not true. He might have asked you to, he might have asked you to change jobs or he might have asked, whatever it is, you know, that's up to you, whatever, whatever God's spoken to you. I, and then it's like you feel like that was a word from God and then like moments later, you feel like you know, you're in that wilderness time and you're just like, oh, what's happening? And then all of a sudden like the enemy comes in, there's thoughts that come in and you go, that's not what he really said. Is that what he really, if he said that, I mean, that must, and, and he's just this cunning, like, snake that, that wants to come in and, and, and challenge and, and question and attack what, what it is that God has done. Another thing I learned in this moment was that, that Jesus had just fasted 40 days and 40 nights. And so Jesus was lacking food. He was lacking food. And the devil knew that. And so what does the devil tempt him with? He tempts him with food. He tempts him with what he's lacking. And often in our lives, church, the devil understands what it is we're lacking in our life. What is it that we lack? And he's going to come in and that's what he's going to use against us. That's what he's going to use to tempt us. He'll, he'll bring up what we lack and be like, if you, you need more of that. That's what you need to be happy. That's what you need. And so we like, man shall not live on bread alone by, by every word. I remember one time in my life, this, this moment where I was, I was tempted by the enemy. And, and in this moment, I lacked, was, I, I, I was lacking in my finances. And, and we were, I was... I was really felt like I was in the calling of God and doing what God had asked me to do, but I was I hadn't I didn't have money and and I wasn't trusting God. Obviously, I, I look back now and, and in that moment I wasn't trusting. But the devil came in and he said, "All you need is money. Once you have this, then you will be happy. Once you have once you have this much, and it wasn't even an exorbitant amount, but once you have this much, then then you'll be fine. You'll be okay." And See, what the devil wants to do, church, is what he really wants to convince you is, is that it's, it's just bread alone that we need. Once, like, one, if you have bread, if you have the bread, you'll be fine. You don't need anything else. And so he's like, if you just do this, if you just stop what you're doing here, go and make some money, you're going to be fine. But I've realised that it's just not whatever the bread is in your life that you need. But we need to live on and what gives us sustenance and what sustains us is every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. And we see Jesus answering the devil with this. It is written, man shall not live on bread alone. Whatever it is that you lack in your life, church, whatever it is that you need or you think that you're lacking, that's not what is going to sustain you. That's not what is, what is going to bring you life and give you life. So when the enemy comes to try and attack that, you can stand there and say, it is written that man shall not live 
And in my life, it's kind of like man shall not live on money alone. So don't try and tempt me with that. Because I will live on every word that comes out of the mouth of the Lord. Jesus uses scripture to fight the enemy. When the devil comes, when the enemy comes to attack church, we need to stand on the word of the Lord. Ben, you can come back up. That would be amazing. See, Jesus stood on Scripture, quoted Scripture, and he knew that God had provided before for the Israelites, that God had moved, and his provision was enough for the Israelites. And so in that moment, he stood on the Scripture and he stood on the testimony of what had happened. We need to stand on Scripture, but church, we also have moments in history that we can stand on where God has provided for His people so that we can use those moments, we can remember those moments. It may not even be your experience. It may have been an experience from someone else, but you can stand on that while the enemy tries to attack you and says, this is what you need, this is all you need. You can stand there and say, no, I don't need to go down that path because I know that my God provides. I know that His provision is enough. I know that what He has for me is enough because it's happened before and He's provided before and He's going to provide for me now. And so we can stand there as the tempter tries to tempt, tries to coerce us into to being disobedient or to making the wrong choices or the wrong decisions and stepping out of the plan and stepping out of the call and we can stand there and say, I don't need that to live. I need God to live. I need the Word of the Lord to live. So Lord God, right now in this moment, we thank You for Your Word. We thank You that Your Word is sufficient, Lord God. We thank You for Your provision, Lord Jesus. And Lord God, I want to lift up anyone in this moment right now who feels like they're in a wilderness or they're in a season where they they don't know what is happening, Lord. I just pray that they will understand that you have them there for a reason, that you're preparing us, Jesus, that that, that this moment is a moment of growth, Lord God. It's not you being separate. It's not you being distant, Lord, but it's us being prepared, Jesus. Lord God, and I'm just speaking against the enemy right now. May we have the courage to stand on your scripture, on your word and declare that, Jesus, when the enemy tries to tempt, when the enemy tries to attack, Lord God. Lord Jesus, we love you. Amen. Amen. Let's worship as we end.